Welcome back, everyone. I have been looking forward to this particular passage of Scripture because this is one of those places where we get a glimpse into the world of the unseen. And I believe, as most Christians do, that there is a world beyond what we see with our natural, physical eyes. There's a world of the Spirit. There's a world where the rules of physics and science and everything that we think we know, it no longer applies. And this world of the unseen is not truly unseen because, of course, our God controls all things. And he can certainly see the things that man cannot see in the physical uh, he certainly sees it all, and he reigns supreme uh, there as much as he reigns supreme here in this physical world. So we have been talking a lot about false teachers and philosophies which are contrary to the Word of God. And as we've been going through the book of Jude, um, this discussion has led us to the exploration of apostasy. And we have seen many examples of this kind of behavior. Uh, for these next two verses that we're going to look at here in the book of Jude, we're going to look at apostasy in the supernatural realm. So, with that said, calm your mind, get focused, pray, get your Bible, and turn with me to Jude verses 9 and 10. Jude verses 9 and 10. Now let us read and hear the words of the one true living God. Jude 9. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Now I want to draw your attention to a contrast that Jude makes here. In verse 8, Jude made mention of these dreamers who defile the flesh, you may recall. And if you don't recall, go back and listen to my previous podcast, or... If you're watching on YouTube, you can certainly catch it there as well. So, he makes reference to these non-believing Jews who were destroyed during that 40 years of wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, in verse 5. In verse 4, Jude told us of certain men who crept into the church unnoticed. In verse 7, he reminds us of the sexual immorality that consumed Sodom and Gomorrah, ultimately led to their righteous judgment and destruction from God. And don't forget verse 6, where he tells us of the angels who did not keep their proper abode or their proper place, their dwelling place. And Michael the archangel is different than all these other descriptions because he did not step out of his proper place. So you have this list of descriptors really coming from Jude, explaining what he means when he calls them 
dreamers, he calls them, uh, he says they're defiling the flesh. And so now he's going to make a comparison and we're going to look at Michael the Archangel as someone who did obey the living God. And it's a significant statement from Jude because Jude is doing what all preachers and teachers do. He's giving an illustration and an application of what he's been talking about up to this point. And you may remember that in my introduction to the book of Jude, I mentioned a book of apocryphal literature known as the Assumption of Moses. The Assumption of Moses. Now, there's few manuscripts of this left um, that we can look at. I say we, those who study <laughs> ancient uh, writings. And, but what we do have, we can put together um, what they believed in the ancient times. And so Jude makes reference to this story that's recorded here in the Assumption of Moses because he knows that his audience will know the story. And this would be similar to illustrations which preachers give today as they make reference to a well-known novel or they'll make a reference to another classical piece of literature. And Jude is doing the same thing here. Now, those who are skeptical of the Bible as being the word of the living God, they actually love passages like this. And, and I enjoy engaging with skeptics, and to some degree I enjoy it. Sometimes I get just really frustrated because here's what you need to know about a skeptic. You're never going to convince a skeptic really about anything, whether it's the scriptures or anything that they are skeptical about. Because no matter the explanation that you bring, the nature of being skeptical is they're going to be skeptical of the explanation. Um, Jesus could appear in the physical right in front of a skeptic and explain to them that the Word of God, the Bible is the Word of God, that He is real, that He is true, that He is the Son of the living God, look them square in the eye, and they would find a reason that what they just saw and what they just experienced is not real, or that person, whatever it was they saw, that He is not really who He claimed to be. How can I say that? I can say that because that is exactly what happened. <laughs> Jesus appeared. Jesus showed up. Jesus was physically in front of people, the son of the living God. And their hearts were so hardened. Their vision was so narrow. They had a definition of what the son of God was supposed to be. And Jesus did not fit that. And they were skeptical and they remained that way. So, when I engage with a skeptic, sometimes it's fun and sometimes I will go so far and then I'll just kind of walk away. But one of the things I've noticed about skeptics, they always think that they're going to come up with some kind of new argument that hasn't already been hammered out in the ages past. And I don't mean to brag when I say this, I'm not bragging, but I've puzzled through a lot of questions in my own skepticism. Okay, so it's doubtful <laughs> that an atheist or a skeptic or an agnostic is going to come up with something that I have not already dealt with in my own personal and spiritual journey. 
And I'm not saying I know everything. I'm just simply trying to illustrate I have thought through a lot of questions. I have studied it out. I've prayed about it. I'm not saying that I know everything. And this is not a challenge to anybody who's listening or watching. I'm not challenging. I'm just simply saying I have thought about these things. And so the skeptic, they're like, oh, I've got you now. Oh, I've got a good one. I've got this. I've got that. I've got this question or these facts. I bet you never thought about this. You never thought about that. Probably not true, at least with me, because I have hammered out quite a lot. And I've had, listen, I've had doubts. I've had questions. I've had things that I could not explain. Listen, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you know everything. But it does mean that the Holy Spirit has done work in your heart and in your mind. And he has clarified who he is. Who Christ is. And the way to God. So let's, with that said, let's go ahead and let's look at what uh, Jude is talking about here. Let's examine uh, Jude's reference to Michael's dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. For starters, we know Michael. We know Michael the archangel because he's mentioned in Daniel 10, uh, verses 13 and 21. He's also mentioned, mentioned in Daniel 12, verse 1. He is, from what we can gather, a chief angel of some kind. Uh, he's in some kind of a role as a guardian over the nation of Israel. And we also get another glimpse into the spirit world from these passages. Daniel 10.13 calls angels princes. Now, there is a prince of the kingdom of Persia. The prince of Persia. And this is an evil angel, some kind of an evil spirit, who was engaged in some kind of a fight with a good angel who now comes to visit Daniel because Michael had taken over the fight against the prince of Persia. So the angel shows up to Daniel. If you know the story, he says, I would have been here sooner, and I'm paraphrasing. I would have made it, but I was engaged with an angelic fight going on with the prince of Persia. Daniel came and brought me relief. And now I'm here to deliver my message to you, Daniel. So apparently from what we can gather from scriptures is that these angels influence different nations in some kind of a way. And if you look at the world today, it's really not a stretch, is it? To say that there's some kind of a presence here um, that is interjecting or interfering or trying to have influence on the affairs of man. Daniel 12 tells us that Michael is the one who stands watch over Israel. And that's where I get the idea uh, that he is the prince of Israel. Now, if I can pause here for just a moment, I'm going to get sidetracked here for just a second, uh, but stay with me. The Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult, and they claim that Michael and Jesus are the same individual, in part because of this passage here in Daniel. They say, oh, Michael is the prince of Israel. Well, who's the prince of Israel, right? It's Jesus. So Jesus and Michael are the same person. And I don't want to go into it too far, 
I would just encourage you to keep the scriptures in context. Keep it in context. And you've heard me say this many times before. There is absolutely no way that these passages are making reference to Jesus. For starters, Jesus was not created. Michael, being an angel, was created by God. And so this is why the Jehovah's Witnesses, like all cults, uh, they deny Jesus as God. And see, true Christianity says that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And again, let's make this clear. Christians believe in one God. We are monotheistic. One being in three persons. One being, three persons. The Father is not the Son, and He's not the Holy Spirit. But he's God. Jesus, he's not the Father, and he's not the Holy Spirit, but he is God. The Holy Spirit is not the Son, is not the Father, but the Holy Spirit is God. There's never been a time, listen, there's never been a time where God did not exist. He is the eternal, self-existent being. Okay? So, Moving on here, uh, as I was saying, there's no way unless someone introduced an idea into your mind, ripping scripture from the context that it was written in, there's no way that you would get from this passage that it's talking about Jesus whenever it clearly names Michael. So, Michael is created, Jesus is not created. So, as I've said before, cults will do almost anything they can to come against the Trinity. Um, you can find it in all, um, I, I hesitate to say all, because it's, you know, when you use words like all, never, always, there's always going to be some kind of an exception out there that you can find. But for the most part, in my experience and my study, when you start digging into what cults teach and what they believe, they will eventually at some point attack the Trinity. Why? Because they're attacking God. Because whatever it is they're believing in, it's not the same thing that we believe as Christians, and it's not biblical. So these are the kinds of false teachers and the creepy men, and, the, and I call them creepy men because Jude says they crept in unnoticed. And so I just call them creepy men. Revelation 12, 7 is another place uh, that we hear about Michael. Getting back on track here, Revelation 12, 7. It says that Michael is a leader in the war against the devil and the devil's angels. So all this is just to say that this is who we know Michael is according to the Bible. The Bible is our source, not the assumption of Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 and 6, the Bible tells us that Moses died in the land of Moab. And if you're a student of God's word, you know that Moses did not get to enter into the promised land because of his personal disobedience, and really, when you get down to it, a misrepresentation of God. 
And if you think that God does not take it seriously when you disobey him, or if you misrepresent him, you need to take a look at what happened to Moses. God takes it very seriously. So let's get back to the skeptics. I mentioned skeptics. They will point to Deuteronomy and they'll say, Deuteronomy says that God buried Moses. And the assumption of Moses, which is what Jude is quoting here, he says that Michael buried Moses. So which is it, you Christian? What are you going to do with that, Christian? <laughs> which is it? <laughs> Why would you, one of the so-called inspired writers of the Bible, your holy book, that's what you Christians believe, why would he be quoting from a non-inspired source, right? Because you say your Bible is inspired. Now, again, I'm having a little bit of fun here, but let's take a look at it. It's a serious question. It's a good question. And I don't mind engaging with people who are seeking. I'm not big on arguing, but if you're seeking and if you're seriously asking the question, it's a great question. So let's see what is... The Christian response to this. Well, I would take you back to the very first episode of our study in the book of Jude. You know, one of the great things about being a Christian and relying on the Bible is that we can put all this out in the open. I'm not hiding any kind of textual uh, difficulty. I'm not trying to cover it up. It's right out there for everyone to see. So when we come across something like this, the great thing about being a Christian, we don't shy away from it. We just put it out there and let's, let's dig in and see the truth. The truth is that many of these things are actually brought to light by Christians. We are the ones who will bring up questions like this. We don't wait on the skeptic. We hammer these things out. So, first off, this reference by Jude was actually one reason that some did not want the book of Jude in the New Testament canon. And again, I brought this up in the first episode of Jude. But New Testament writers would use other literature in an effort to communicate the gospel to an audience familiar with other works. It's not a validation of those works, but it is a point of illustration. And remember, I pointed out in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, where the evil Egyptian magicians are named and they're citing a Jewish tradition there. They're not citing what was recorded in Exodus 7.11. In Acts 17.28, there's a quote there from Greek poets. And the same thing happens in 1 Corinthians 15.33. It happens in Titus 1.12, where they're actually quoting from Greek poets. So this does not mean that the Greek poets were inspired by the Holy Spirit, but that the human writer of the scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit to cite these examples in order to prove a point. This is simply what we have going on here. You know, if the Bible quotes something that Satan says, it doesn't mean that Satan is speaking inspired words of God. It means that what is recorded there is an actual fact because God doesn't lie. 
So when we speak of inspiration, these are the kinds of things that we're speaking about. So Jude points to this well-known story as an example, simply to prove his point. But let's take it a little bit further for the skeptic out there. It is possible that Michael actually did dispute over the body of Moses. Is it? Well, sure it is. It's possible. This doesn't contradict what the Bible states about God being the one to bury Moses. If a general, for example, gives a command and the troops carry it out, it would not be incorrect for us to say that the general did it. Why? Because the general gave the command. Who gets credit for winning the battle? The general does. And not to belabor a point here, but I'll just bring it up. Back in the day, <laughs> I was in uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm, what would later be called uh, the first Gulf War. And we had General Schwarzkopf back then, who defended Saudi Arabia against Iraqi aggression. We still, to this day, you can find it if you read. It'll say that General Schwarzkopf did this, General Schwarzkopf did that. And are we wrong to say that? Did he actually go out to the front line and do the work of the army private who was out there on the front line? No, he didn't. Yet we are correct to say that the general defended Saudi Arabia from Iraqi aggression. And so it is with our God. If he commanded Michael to actually go and do the work and Michael obeys the command, we're not incorrect by saying that God did it. Why? Because if you're following my analogy here, you'll see that God is the commanding general in this case, and he gave the command, and just as General Schwarzkopf did the defending, God is the one giving the command, and in like manner, God did it. So, I'd like to share a quote with you from a commentary that I've been reading through uh, on the book of Jude, as we've been going through Jude, and I, I get this from someone named David R. Helm in his Preaching the Word commentary on the book of Jude, and, and here's what he says, and this is a quote, he says, Now we shouldn't think of this angelic confrontation over the body of Moses as merely fanciful or beyond the realm of a factual possibility. After all, we have our own incredible history of battles over the bodies of the deceased. In 1418, a church council ended deliberations that had been going on for over four years. It condemned Wycliffe, the great Bible translator, as a heretic and ordered his bones to be exhumed and removed from consecrated ground. Why? They were incensed that his body had received an honorable burial. He goes on to further quote, uh, to make another quote from Bobrick Benson in his book, Wide as the Waters. And here's another quote for you. It says, this decree was finally, talking about Wycliffe, finally and reluctantly carried out in the spring of 1428. Wycliffe's remains were disinterred and burned on a little arched bridge that spanned over the River Swift, a tributary of the uh, Avon River, and his uh, calcined ashes cast into the stream. 
From thence the prophecy arose. The Avon to the Severn runs, the Severn to the sea, and Wycliffe's dust shall spread abroad, wide as the waters be. And so I believe that while it is totally possible that it is a true account, it changes absolutely nothing about the gospel. And that's what's important here. It changes nothing about Jude as an inspired writer uh, and the book itself being an inspired book of the Bible. It could be factual. It could be illustrative, illustrative. <laughs> but the point is, is that Jude is making a point here that we need to focus on. And this is the point. This battle in the supernatural is there to give us an example of who we should follow as an example. We should follow Michael's example, clearly. If we do what Michael did, we steer clear of apostasy. And remember, that's what's going on here in Jude's discussion. And we will live under the authority of Christ. We will not go after the things which are immoral. We will be equipped with what we need to stand against the present-day false teachers, the embodiment of these ancient archetypes that I was talking about in the last episode. So there's just a few more things I want to point out here about these two verses here. First off, we need to notice that Michael did not presume to overstep his bounds. He stated in the Assumption of Moses, the Lord rebuke you. Now, I don't know if you've heard of this. I've heard of this. I have seen people uh, rebuke the devil. And as a child, I saw this happen. I came from a background where people would be praying out loud and they would begin to speak to the devil. They would rebuke the devil during their prayer time. And I always had an issue with it. I never liked it from the time I was a small child. I never understood why are you talking to the devil when you should be praying to God in your prayers. There is not a single example that I've been able to find anywhere in the scriptures where uh, godly people or, or Christians are to be talking to the devil. Why are we talking to the devil? Why are, we, why are we doing that? They would rebuke the devil. And uh, there's a practical example that we can get if we pay attention to what Michael did in his approach to Satan. And I think it's very clear. Michael, the archangel, the prince, if you will, as it says in Daniel, the prince of Israel, he didn't presume to step into God's place. What he said was, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. And I really think that's the example that we should follow here. We don't step into the position of God. We call on his name. We let the Lord do the rebuking. I am quite sure that he is fully capable of that without my assistance. Again, that's my personal take on it. Do with that what you will. I do not believe in rebuking the devil. Okay? Jesus is the authority. He is the king. He has it well in hand. So, a look at verse 10 gives us another example of what false teachers do. False teachers often speak out against God's true church leaders 
and they often do not even have all the facts. And look at what it says again. It says, but these, and it's talking about the false teachers, these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts. In these things, they corrupt themselves. So I would just point out that um, there's this word here, and I've already pointed it out, but the word these, here it's a reference back to these evil men. I've already told you I call them creepy because they've crept in unnoticed. And I believe these types of deceitful people actually live in a very unreal world. They allow their imaginations to simply run wild. And as an example, I'll give you, I, I worked with someone who was a true conspiracy believer. Now, I've been accused of believing in, in conspiracy <laughs> myself, uh, but this person was on a completely different level. Uh, she told me, and as we're recording this, we are in uh, May of 2022, but this person told me that as of November 2021, that the entire United States and global economy was going to crash. And I will admit that right now we're seeing an inflated U.S. dollar, um, and this is not a political podcast, and I'm not even going to attempt to get into that and explain all the factors that have caused inflation or that could be impacting that. That's somebody else's job to do. Um, but this is not what my coworker stated was going to happen. She stated that it was going to completely crash last November. So we're talking a full six, seven months ago. And she didn't say that we were going to have inflation. She talked to me about global levels of complete poverty and starvation. She told me that the Chinese were going to invade, and indeed they already were invading in Canada. She told me about a secret war that was already going on between the United States fighter jets and the Chinese, and it was happening in American airspace. Friends, none of this happened okay and that's the point i want to get to here these people as jude refers to them they are so delusional that when you confront them with their false prophecies as i did with this person i used to work with they simply refuse to see that their predictions did not happen she actually stated to me that she's never been wrong about one of her prophecies and when I pointed out to her, this is what she, honestly, this is what she said to me. I said, you're wrong about this. She goes, no, I'm not. <laughs> and it would be funny. And I do chuckle. I do laugh. But it's really not funny. It's really not funny. Colossians 2.18 says this. It says, let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Watch this, worship of angels. Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. And the New American Standard Bible puts it this way. It says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. 
Their sinful minds have made them proud. Friends, that's exactly what I just described to you with this co-worker of mine. You see, these people have a blindness. They believe things that are not real while, while reality takes a back seat. And I'm going to give you a few more examples because this is something that I'm passionate about. And then I'm going to wrap up this episode. But I feel the need to get this out there because there's so much going on in the name of Jesus. And friends, it is simply false. Simply false. Um, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, there was one of these false teachers, uh, Todd Bentley. Todd Bentley. He's one of these guys that I've mentioned before. He's not really in the spotlight today like he was uh, a good 10, 15 years ago. Um, but he's still out there. He's still doing his thing, and he's off the charts. He's part of this um, NAR movement, if you're familiar with it, the New Apostolic Reformation. Friends, just let me say this, and I've said it before. It's not new. It's not apostolic, and it's definitely not reformed. And he's part of this so-called latter rain movement. Among many of his false predictions and teachings, I'm just going to mention one here, just one. He claims that after he was born again, now I want you to listen to this. He claims that he was born again, but that he was possessed or oppressed, it depends on when you hear him talk about it, but possessed by 25 different demons. He claims that he was speaking in a voice that was not his, and that he was uh, cursing, and that he had all kinds of profanity coming out of his mouth, but he had no control over it. He claims that he had both the Holy Spirit and evil spirits, living within him at the same time. And while I don't really have any problem believing that this man is being used of the devil, I would simply point out to you that he did not get saved by the Holy Spirit and then get possessed by evil spirits. doesn't work, folks. It's unbiblical. When the Holy Spirit comes in, he gives you a new mind. He gives you a new outlook on life. Your entire world view changes. And it's a change that is supernatural. It's not because of something that you did. Friends, if you did it yourself, if you're all, uh, whatever the word would be, all hyped up or pumped up in yourself and you're working in your flesh, I would just challenge you on that because it's not a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the flesh. When the Holy Spirit comes in, there is no evil spirit living in you, okay? You are possessed by a spirit, the Holy One, the Holy One, the Holy Spirit of the living God has taken up residence in you. And when that happens, there's no room for an evil spirit. So another thing that Todd Bentley, he also predicted that Jesus was going to show up in Lakeland, Florida on the 8th of June in 2008. Jesus was supposed to show up in the clouds, in a chariot, surrounded by an angelic host. And guess what did not happen on the 8th of June, 2008? Jesus did not show up in Lakeland, Florida. 
and I could go on and on and on. The list is long. Todd Bentley's not the only one. There's many out there, and they are still peddling their false teachings today. As I was preparing for this episode, I did just a very light search on the internet. Um, there are hundreds, um, seriously, if not thousands of examples of people masquerading as Christians and they continue to preach a false doctrine accompanied by false prophets and prophecies. Uh, take your pick and compare their outlandish claims against the simple claims of the scripture itself. So with that being said, I just want to encourage you to get into the word of the living God. There is plenty there. There is plenty there that is supernatural. Seek after Christ. Ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life to change your mind, to change your speech, to change your worldview. And I am telling you, friends, it's truly supernatural. You know, sometimes we have this idea that the supernatural realm, kind of like I said in the introduction here, that it's supposed to be, you know, this unseen world and it's mysterious and it's unknown and all these things. But the Holy Spirit is sweet, loving, kind, convicting of sin, absolutely. But you know, Jesus is the good shepherd. When he saves, he saves to the uttermost. And it's a beautiful thing. And the only thing I can tell you is, if you're looking for a sign, you know, I'm always reminded of what Jesus said. He said, it's a perverse generation seeking after a sign. See, friends, we don't need a sign. The signs are done. <laughs> Jesus came. And Jesus said, the very last few verses of Matthew, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then what does he say? He says to his disciples, he says, now go and you make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe the things that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise the King. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs> Amen.